Favorite Christmas present? Ah, never leave home without it. Okay, is it just me? Those of you that know Josh Riley, does that guy in that thing not look a lot like Josh Riley? <laughs> take out your Bibles this morning. Turn to Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. So take out your Bibles, your mobile devices. If you're using a Bible that you picked up on the table when you came in, it is on page 395 as we continue our series of this December, special series leading up to Christmas called Carols. If you're a guest, then the way we normally st study the Bible here at the Orchard Church is we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We'll be getting back to that after the first of the year, but we had an opportunity. We're kind of in between books to do something special for Christmas, and so we're doing the carols, and today we're looking at, Oh, come all you faithful. How many of y'all realize that we have a team of people, 13 people from the Orchard Church in Haiti right now this week and this morning? Hopefully you've been uh, praying for them this week, and if we could put up a picture, thanks to technology, this is a picture of our team of 13 that has been in Haiti all week, and uh, they're holding some of the Christmas shoeboxes that you guys packed back in September, and you thought we were crazy getting ready for Christmas, but we had to pack those in September, and it took about eight weeks for those to get to Haiti by ship, get through customs, but the great news is this year we were way ahead of the game, and the boxes were waiting for them when they got there, so they all arrived safely over 200 Christmas shoeboxes that you packed for our children in our feeding center in Haiti. Friday, they distributed all of those. And not only that, but you see all the stuff on the wall there, all the stuffed animals and clothes and shoes. Uh, a lot of you ladies and other people donated things uh, for our team to take over there. And they took like six 40-pound boxes. They checked the second bag and it was a box of the stuff you packed. It all made it safely as well. And they said it was like the, the uh, five loaves and two, or two fish and five loaves, whatever that story is in the Bible. It's one of those, I get them confused, which the loaves and the fish. But you know what I'm talking about, that story? And they said, we kept unpacking, and it was just more and more and more. They ended up with like 150 shoes, like 200 stuffed animals, and they were able to distribute that all over Haiti to needy children and, and families this Christmas. And so uh, thank you guys for contributing to that. They're taking video, and we'll see a video of them giving out the gifts and things uh, probably in a couple of weeks on our Christmas Sunday uh, services, the plan right now. And uh, this was, technology is incredible today. A lot of the team had iPads pads and stuff over there, and uh, they sent me this video this week. This was uh, my daughter, Caitlin, who's 15, her first mission trip to ever go on. She went with her mom, and so I've been barely surviving and eating this week. Just want to let you guys know that. A couple of y'all have me over. I appreciate that. But they sent me this little video of Caitlin uh, this week, and I thought it would touch your heart this morning. Watch this, guys. <clears throat> Isn't that cool? 
She obviously has her mom's voice and not her dad's. Well, this morning we are doing O Come All Ye Faithful in our carols. And so in your notes there, you have the first verse there of O Come All Ye Faithful. We're going to put it on the screen. And I'd like us just to read these words uh, together of O Come All Ye Faithful. A lot of times it's nice to just kind of strip you know, the instruments and music away and just think about the words that we're singing and that we've sung you know, Christmas after Christmas. And we're going to focus on one of the phrases in this carol this week. So let's just together... Let's read this uh, phrase in this, uh, of O Come All Ye Faithful, this, this first stanza here. And it says this, O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him. O come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Let me give you a little background about O Come All You Faithful. It was originally written in Latin, and the title was Adeste Fidelis. Now, if you know Latin, I probably butchered that, but that's as close as I could get. It was written by John Francis Wade, and it was in the 18th century, about 1840, that a hymnist named Frederick Oakley, he's also known for making nice sunglasses, he uh, took this hymn... <laughs> and he translated it from Latin into English, and that's the song, you know, the carol that we have today. And at this time right now, I would like to perform for you my rendition of O Come All Ye Faithful and Run Your Day. No, we're going to wait till the end, and our, our praise team is going to sing that for you. At the end, we're going to all be able to celebrate and worship together with that song. But I want to focus on this phrase of this song. And it's kind of been our prayer as we go through uh, these famous carols that each week we focus on a particular line in the song that we know and we've sung and most of us have memorized, but maybe have never really thought about the meaning. What, what, what does this mean in the scriptures that, that it comes from? And I want us just to focus on that very first phrase in this song, O come all ye faithful... Joyful and triumphant. O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. This carol is opening by calling a certain group of people to come to Bethlehem, to come see Jesus, to, to come to Jesus. And what kind of people is this song calling? It's calling the faithful, the joyful, and the triumphant. Now, as you think about that song and who it's calling, and you think about Christmas... You know, there's a song you know, that sings the phrase, you know, it's the most wonderful time of the year, Christmas. And for a lot of people, it is the most wonderful time of year. It's one of my favorite times of the year. But did you know that for some people, it's the most difficult time of the year? Maybe because of what they're going through in their life, their marriage, their family. Maybe they've lost someone this last year that's very dear to them and there's going to be an empty seat at their table this year. There's not going to be some of the same presence under the tree for that person this year. And even though it's the most wonderful time of the year for many of us, it can be the most difficult time of the year for other people. And there's probably some people this Christmas that don't feel quite so faithful. They don't feel quite so joyful. And maybe not feel as triumphant as they have maybe other Christmas or at other times. Maybe, maybe this Christmas they feel a little more defeated, depressed, and doubtful than faithful, joyful, and triumphant. You know, maybe their faith has, has been tested this year. Maybe there's a, a faith trial going on in their life that says, you know, I'm not as... You know what the word faithful means? It means to be full of faith, faithful. And maybe my faith is being tested. I'm not as full of faith this Christmas as I have been maybe in the past. Or maybe I'm not as faithful in serving God and following Him as I have been in the past. Maybe, maybe I'm not as joyful. Maybe something this Christmas is trying to steal your joy. 
to try to take that away from you, your happiness and your joy. And we're going to talk about the difference of those two in a minute. You know, I, I got to tell you, uh, I used to enjoy shopping for Christmas. I don't really anymore. You know, I always go to the mall and, you know, I get ready to check out and there's like four lines, you know, and, and you're like, oh, this is going to take like 45 minutes just to buy this gift. And inevitably, I end up in the, lo- the wrong line. You know, I, I get b- behind, you know, the people that there's not a tag on their clothing, you know, there's not a barcode and they got price check, you know, or I get behind like my wife, the coupon lady, you know, oh, I know I have a coupon for that. And she's searching and I, I'm just, that kind of like frustrates me and steals my joy. And I, I, I'll tell you something else steals my joy at Christmas is Christmas lights. I love Christmas lights, but I, it, it, it never fails. I checked all my lights before I put them on my house this year. I was like, I am not going to put these lights up and find out that some of them are burned out. And so I checked them all, put them on the house. They work great for one day. And then the next day, all of a sudden, I had all these sections going out and they're on my house. Does that bother anybody else besides me? Say yes. That's a joy stealer right there. <laughs> Maybe you don't feel, in all seriousness, I know that's trivial and silly. But maybe you don't feel as triumphant as this song talks about. Maybe you feel a little more defeated because of something going on in your life, your, your family, your, your finances, your health, or, or your job. And, and, and the truth is, as we think about that song, Oh, come all ye faithful, all you are faithful, joyful, and triumphant. A lot of people may feel disqualified to sing that carol this Christmas. They don't feel as faithful, joyful, and triumphant. And, and I got to thinking about that phrase. Who are the ones who Jesus calls? I mean, if Jesus had written this carol, how would he have written it? I mean, who does Jesus call? And you have this in your notes. Let me remind us this morning who Jesus calls. Jesus, first of all, he calls two groups. First of all, he calls the weary and the burdened. That's who he calls. Look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. And these are the words of Jesus. And he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. That's another way of saying those of you who are weary... And you're burdened. And you're struggling. He says, come and I will give you what, church? I'll give you rest. Maybe you feel like, boy, I could use some rest this Christmas season. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's who Jesus calls. He calls the weary and the burdened. You know, he, he doesn't say, okay, once you get all joyful and triumphant and faithful, then you can come into my presence. You know, once you get it all worked out and you have everything together, then that's when you, you can come. Once you're joyful and happy. You know, that was, uh, history tells us that earthly kings, whenever one was some, someone would come into the presence of a king, they had to have a smile on their face. And no matter what was going on in their life, they had to at least appear and seem to be happy because the king didn't want anybody in their presence. Aren't you get glad that we have a heavenly king, Jesus Christ, that we can come into his presence however we are? And especially when we're weary and we're burdened and we're downtrodden and we're having difficulties, that's how he calls us to come. He calls, Jesus first calls the weary and the burden. Number two, he calls the sinners. He calls the sinners. Look at, you're there in Matthew. Just look at Matthew chapter 9, verse 12. Just a couple of pages back there in your Bible. Matthew chapter 9, verse 12. And it says this, When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are what, church? Sick, those who are sick, but go and learn what, I'm, what this means, why I'm trying to tell you this. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, people who are already right with God, but, but sinners to repentance. 
Jesus calls the burdened and the weary, and he calls sinners to repentance. He doesn't say, where do you get your life all perfect and cleaned up and you don't have anything bad going, and then you come to me. No, he calls us when we're sinners. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Aren't you glad that Jesus calls us even when we're sinners? Because if he didn't, none of us could have come to him. And I talk to people all the time. I try to share you know, what Jesus has done for them, and he died for them, and he wants a personal, loving, intimate relationship with them. And I, and I talk to people about that and how they can put their faith and trust in him. And so often I hear people say something like this, Jesus would never accept me. I've got too many things I've done wrong. I've messed up too many times. You know, if you only knew what I know and God knows about my life, Jesus would, you know, he'd never allow me to come to him. And, and a lot of people think humanly that I've got to do all these things to clean my life up and get it all right before I come to Jesus. And that's just the opposite, isn't it, church? What Jesus says is I call the sinners, come to me, and I, then I'll take care of the cleaning you up. Come to me as you are. I mean, I meet people, you know, that they're struggling with drugs or alcohol or sexual addictions and things like that. And they think they've got to get their life all straightened out before they can come to Jesus. A lot of people feel like they've got to get everything in their life cleaned up before they can even come to church. You know, I don't, I don't belong there. You know, I wouldn't be accepted there. I, I might be judged there. You know, maybe somebody drifted in this morning. Maybe you came in on your own or maybe somebody invited you and they bugged you enough that you said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and come. Maybe they'll stop asking me. And maybe someone is here today in our church and you feel like you don't belong here. You know what's going on in your life and what you've done. You feel like, I I'm not accepted. I don't belong here. Can I say what I believe to be on the authority of all of our church this morning? You do belong here. We're glad you're here. We accept you here because Jesus does. Amen, church? And we better never get to the place of the church that we say, well, people got to do this, this, and this, and this before they come in these doors and hear the gospel. Because Jesus calls the sinners we do not want the Orchard Church to be a country club for Christians. We want it to be a hospital for sinners. That's, that's the way we all came in, amen? And so I, I got to thinking about that. This, this carol says, oh, come all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. Yet Jesus calls the weary, the burdened, and the sinners. Maybe if Jesus had written this carol, he would have sang it that way. Oh, come all ye sinners, weary, and burdened. Might not be as popular of a song, but it would be truthful, wouldn't it? Come to Jesus. Now, here's the good news. So why in the world are we even looking at this carol if that's not how Jesus calls us? Here's the deal. That's how Jesus calls us to come to him, weary, burdened, and sinners. But here's the great news. He doesn't leave us that way. He, he changes us. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Many of you that have been in church a while know this verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, means they, they come to him how they are, give their life to him, accept him as Lord and Savior. He is a, let's say it, church, new creation. Everybody say, new creation. Jesus makes us a new creation. Old things, all the old things and the bad things and the horrible things we've done in our life, old things have passed away and all things become what, church? New. And so... Jesus calls the weary, the burdened, and the sinners, but the good news is he doesn't leave us that way. He changes us and makes us something new. And what is it that Jesus helps us become? Three things. Let me give them to you this morning. When you give your life to Jesus and you come just as you are, you know, we used to sing a song in church that said that, just as I am. How many of y'all remember that song? We'd sing it like 50 times at the end of service, hoping people would come. But there's a lot of truth in that song. 
We come as we are, but he doesn't leave us as we are. And there's three things that Jesus helps us to become once we come to him. Number one, Jesus helps us to become more faithful. Oh, come all ye faithful. Jesus is the one that helps us to become more faithful. Hebrews 12, 2 says this, that we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He, he's, he is the author of our faith, and he is, the, he is the finisher of our faith. That means our faith begins with Jesus, but it doesn't end there. Our faith continues to grow with Jesus. Amen? I mean, we come to Jesus by faith, and then our faith continues to grow, and we become more faithful because he's the author of our faith, and he's the finisher of our faith. Some versions say the perfecter of our faith. Our, our faith grows through Jesus. You say, well, how does our faith, I, I know I came to Jesus in faith. There was nothing I could do. But how does my faith grow in Jesus? How does he perfect my faith? How, how does he finish and complete my faith? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because Romans 10, 17 gives us the answer, and it simply says this. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Isn't that always our answer here at this church? Amen? It's the word of God. I was telling our small group this week. Our small group was meeting, and we were asking them some questions. And I told them, I said, listen, this is what I used to always teach my students when I was a youth director. Whenever you don't know the answer, just say word of God or Bible. Nine times out of ten, it's the right answer. And so they started that. You know, I'd ask them a question, you know, what's the weather supposed to be Sunday? Word of God? No, okay, it didn't work on that one. But most of the time, it's the right answer. This is our answer for everything. And the way that our faith grows is by hearing the word of God. We had to hear the word of God that brought us to salvation. And we also have to hear, study, listen to, memorize, meditate on the word of God. And that's what Jesus uses to grow our faith. Hearing God's word builds our faith in two different ways. One, it helps us to be more full of faith. When we're going through those trials, when we're going through those difficulties, when we don't feel so full of faith, the word of God in our life grows our faith. That's why it's important to be here on Sunday mornings. Because you know that we're going to open the word of God, we're going to look at the word of God, we're going to study the word of God, and hopefully every Sunday you walk out, you go, I'm glad I came, amen? That's why it's important to be in small group here at Orchard Church because we talk about the Word of God and what it's doing in our lives and, and we hear how the Word of God in a message or in the study is applying to someone else's life and we go, oh, that, I, 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 that helps me too. It encourages me. That's why discipleship is so important in our church, that you get paired up with someone. You know, we talk to so many people that say, I, I want to study the Word of God. I want to know the Word of God. I just don't know where to begin. I don't know where to start. You know what discipleship is? It's someone that's a little further along in their faith coming alongside, taking you by the spiritual hand and helping you to know where to start in the scriptures and giving you that, that foundation. So when we're not feeling so faithful, full of faith, we gotta be in the word of God. And when those faith trials come into our life and we have the word of God in us, it builds us up, it makes us stronger, it helps us. And I know I've talked to a lot of people in our church this last year, some people who've gone through a divorce some people who've gone through the loss of a, of a loved one or a friend or a crisis financially, and many of them have said this, I don't know how I could have ever gone through this without my faith, without the word of God in my life. You know, my father-in-law, he's our care pastor, Dr. Randall, he got a real surprise this last year. He, uh, 
went in for a kind of a checkup with the doctor, and he said, you know, when I swim, he swims all the time. He's like, I kind of start feeling this little tingly, but then it goes away. And the doctor said, oh, it's probably not anything, but, you know, you are 70-something plus, and uh, we'll, we'll do some checks. You know, let's check it out. And so he went in and did the treadmill thing and all of that, and, and he was in the hospital waiting to hear kind of some of the results of his test. And uh, Gary and Barry went by. I'd already been by that. They went by to see him. And he hadn't heard the results of his test yet. And they said, well, what did you find out? He goes, well, they said I'm going to have to have open heart surgery. And they're like, no. And he goes, no, I'm just kidding. And he was just joking. Well, the joke was on him. Because later that day, I think it was, the doctor said, you got to have open heart surgery. And he's like, are you messing with me? And he had to go through. They had open heart surgery, you know, this, this year. And, and it's been, I think it's been almost close to eight weeks now. 14 weeks, 14 weeks, and he's doing great, and the doctor said, you know, all these things are going to happen after, and one of the things they told him is, you know, most people that, that have open heart surgery go through very, very deep depression, and he hasn't gone through any of that, he's, he, is, he has done well, and you know what he attributed it to? His faith, it's his faith, it's the word of God in his life, it, it does something, it builds you up, and hearing God's word builds our faith, and, and it helps us also to be more faithful, Faithful in our service to God. Faithful in obeying his word and doing the things he, he asks us to do. And faithful to our, our calling. You know, we as a church, we, we've been called to make disciples. And we have a simple reach, relate, reproduce process. How we move people forward and, and make disciples. You know, it starts with reach. And that's a responsibility God has given to all of us. He's, he told all of us as Christians to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And that means just to proclaim it. To tell the people in your sphere of influence about the faith in Christ that you have. And I've told you a couple of weeks ago, Christmas is one of the best times of the, wor- the year to be able to share your faith. I mean, as people are thinking about Christmas and they're singing about Christmas and they're going to Christmas parties, that you have an opportunity to say, do you know what Christmas really means? When you guys came in this morning, how many of y'all got a little invite to our Christmas Eve service? Did you guys get, hold those up this morning if you got them. You got those? You know why we gave that to you? Not to invite you to Christmas Eve. Because you're going to be here, Right? It's to give to somebody. That's that reach, that you're able to reach out to someone and invite them to Christmas Eve, 2, 3, or 4 o'clock. It's going to be about a 45, 50-minute top service, all three of them, back to back to back. And you know what they're going to hear? They're going to hear the gospel that night. They're going to hear from a guy that went through a theater shooting there in Aurora and how God, because he knew Christ, worked in his life. It's going to be powerful. We're going to sing Christmas carols. We're going to have some surprises. We're going to read Christmas stories to some kids. You're not going to want to miss it. But listen, we, we know we're expecting you're going to be here, but we don't want you to come alone. Reach somebody. Bring somebody because the Bible tells us to. And we just, in response to the scriptures, we do what God has told us to do. And then our second step of our process is, is relate. You know, to, to get into a small group. Because the Bible tells us that we need to have a relationship, good relationships with other believers to pray for one another, to love one another, to care for one another. It's difficult to do that on Sunday morning when there's seven, 800 people in two services. But when you're in a small group in a home and there's 10, 12 people and you get to know each other and you know what's going on in their lives, then you can fulfill and be faithful to the scriptures to pray for those people, to meet their needs, to care for them, to, to love on them, to have accountability. So get in a small group if you're not in one. And then reproduce is our discipleship. You know, but Jesus, the last thing he told us to do as a church, as Christians, he said, go and make what, church? Make disciples. And we have a process here at the Orchard Church. We don't leave that to chance. So you're going to really hear about this in January. Um, you know, if you're not involved in discipleship, it is our prayer that every person in our church either be a discipler or, or they're being discipled. 
Because that's what Jesus told us to do. And all of that is in fulfillment to God's word. These are not things that we just made up and said, well, we think this will be cool for our church to do. And so when we know God's word, it helps us to be faithful in those areas. Jesus, number one, when we come to him, he helps us to become more faithful. Number two, Jesus not only helps us to become more faithful, but he helps us to become more joyful. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful. He helps us to become more joyful. You know, the Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 5, when we accept Christ, he places his spirit inside of us. If you know what I'm talking about, say yes. It's his spirit that comes in to live inside of us. And, and Galatians 5 tells us the fruit or the evidence of God's spirit in us is love. And what's the next one? Joy. And then peace. And then long-suffering. And the list goes on. But the second fruit of the spirit is joy. You see, when you have Jesus' spirit inside you, you naturally, or should I say supernaturally, produce joy. Because that is a byproduct, that is a fruit, it's the evidence of the Spirit of God in you. It's like an apple tree. An apple tree doesn't have to work hard to try to produce an apple. It doesn't go, oh, I want to squeeze another apple out. It just produces apples naturally because it's an apple tree. It doesn't matter how hard it tries or not tries, it's, it naturally happens. And, and here's the truth for us as Christians, you cannot produce joy on your own. But when you have a right relationship with Jesus and his spirit is inside of you, he helps you to produce joy. It's something supernatural that happens. He helps you to become more joyful. I love this verse in John 15, 11 that Jesus says. If you, some of you could grasp this today, who know Christ, it would help you to be more joyful. You'd understand you have everything that you need if you know Jesus to produce joy. And Jesus, these are Jesus' words. These things I've spoken to you that... Look at this, church, that my joy may remain in you. Who's Jesus, whose joy is Jesus talking about when he says my joy? He's talking about his joy. I mean, this is Jesus' joy. I mean, if anybody has joy, it's Jesus. I mean, the Bible says that he had joy when he went to the cross. I mean, that's, talk about something tough to face and yet still have joy. And this is what he says. This is so cool. He says, my joy joy i want it to remain in you that your joy may be full you see jesus joy is not of this world it's supernatural and it's something that he gives us and he places inside of us when he gives us his spirit when we accept him by faith joy and happiness are worlds apart the world talks about being happy well, if you're happy, I want you to be happy. And if you do this, it'll make you happy. And if I do this, it'll make me happy. If I have this, it'll make me happy. And, and we're all looking for happiness. I mean, the pursuit of happiness. It's, it's, in our, it's in our constitution. But there's a difference between happiness and joy. And, and I, want, I want you to write it down this way in your notes, and I hope you'll never forget it. Happiness depends on happenings. But joy depends on Jesus. It's something supernatural that is a byproduct of his spirit that he has placed in us. And Jesus said, when I put my joy in you, then your joy will be full. And there might be some things happening that are stealing your happiness this Christmas. There may be some things that happened in this last year that is making Christmas difficult. But if you know Jesus, you can still have joy. You can still have joy. 
let me remind you of, of the Christmas story. You're there in the Gospels. We can turn over there. It's not very far. Go to the book of Luke, chapter 2. This is kind of the main Christmas story. This is the one we'll be reading to some children on Christmas Eve. Luke, chapter 2, verse 8. If you're in Matthew, Mark, Luke, just a couple of books over there. Matthew, chapter 2, verse 8, right out of the Christmas story. Listen to what happened. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in their fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, listen to this, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to these shepherds in the field. Which will be to the wise men that will come in a couple of years. Which, which will be to Mary and Joe. No, he says, which will be to, say it church, all people. I think that includes you and me, amen? He says, the angel says, don't be afraid. I bring, behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Why? Because for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There is a Savior who has been born to you and to you and to you and to me. And it's that Savior that brings great joy to those of you this Christmas that are going through health challenges. He can bring joy to you. To those of you this Christmas who are struggling in your marriage or, or with your children, He can bring great joy to you. To, to those of you that are struggling in your finances, and you don't know what 2013 is going to look like. If it's anything like 2012, you don't know if you're going to make it. He can bring great joy to you. To those of you still that are trying to find a job. Some of you have been looking for a year for a job. And you don't know what you're going to do. He can bring great joy to you. Because happiness depends on happenings. But joy depends on Jesus. And there's a difference. To you a Savior has been born. And that causes great joy. What, what, did, what does Jesus help us to become? He helps us to become more faithful. He helps us to become more joyful. And Jesus helps us to become more, fill in the blank, triumphant. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful, and triumphant. That's not how Jesus calls us, but that's what he helps us to become. More faithful, joyful, and triumphant. You know, it's a tough world that we live in. And there's a lot of people that feel more defeated than triumphant. If you've ever been there, say yes. More defeated than triumphant. And here's the deal. Check this out. Isn't it true that if we want to feel more victorious and triumphant, we usually need some help? That's why in sports it's called the home field advantage. Because you've got thousands of screaming people that are in your corner. They're behind you. They have your back. And teams play better when they know and they hear people are behind us. And it helps them to be more triumphant and more victorious. And it's true in our individual lives as well. When we know someone has our back, it helps us to be more triumphant. I remember when I was a kid growing up in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. I lived in the same house for 20 years. And uh, I, my first job was something called a paper route. Now, for those of you that are younger, there used to be this thing called a paper, a newspaper, and they would deliver it to your driveway, and you would open it, and you'd read it. <laughs> it's kind of, it's probably in the Smithsonian now. But, but I, I was, 
my first job, like a lot of boys, was a paper route. I think I was about 12, 13 years old when I got my first paper route. And I got my, my, it had been my Christmas present that year, and I got a Huffy 54 bike, best bike ever. And I got it for Christmas, and I wanted a paper route, and so my dad bought me, you know, one of those wire baskets, and, you know, we modified my bike so I could, could deliver papers on my paper route, and so I had my bike, I was ready to go, and so I started my first paper route, and there was an apartment complex uh, behind my house, and that's where most of the people I delivered the paper to was, and so sometimes I'd be able to throw it for my bike, sometimes I'd have to get off my bike, and I'd wear this thing, put all the papers in it, you know. Now, l- let me just kind of help you guys understand this picture. When I was 12, I was not real big. Okay? You just kind of do the math, you know? I'm like five, four, five, if I cheat a little bit now. You know, and I, I mean, I was just, I mean, I was 12, but I was the size of like eight, and I had all these papers on this paper route. You know, I mean, if I didn't balance my bike just right, I would wreck. I mean, the first time I went out with all these papers in the front, I was wrecking all over the place. I mean, it took me forever to throw my papers. And there was this guy in our school, and his name was, I remember his name because he had the same name as me. His name was Doug Clark. I was the nice Doug. He was the mean Doug. He was the bully, you know. And I, I don't even remember what I was, four foot something. And he was like seven foot tall in the sixth grade. I mean, the guy is like, looked like a linebacker. I mean, he was huge, and he loved to pick on people and, and bully people. And, and he lived in my neighborhood. And I remember I was throwing my paper out, and, and I was just hoping I would never run into him alone, you know. And uh, one day, I'm on this paper route. Do you all remember, or you know, the, story, the, the Chris, a Christmas uh, story? It's on TV all the time. You remember Scott Farkas? Remember Scott Farkas? He was Scott Farkas <laughs> in my life. He had the same eyes and wore that funny little, you know, hat. I mean, this, this was Doug Clark. He was my Scott Farkas. And one day, I'm on my paper route, and, and I had to go through this gate to get into um, the apartment complex. And it was the only way in because it was pretty much, there was a big fence around the whole apartment complex. And I had to get into to throw my papers. And guess who was standing right at the opening of the gate? Scott Farkas. Doug Clark. And I'm like, oh, gosh. And so I, I, I kind of like acted like I was fixing my bike for a little bit, thinking, you know, he would leave, and I'm, I'm trying to do other things. And finally, I'm like, i got to finish this paper out. And so I thought, I'm just going to be really nice. And if I'm really nice to him, he'll leave me alone. And so I ride up to him, and he's like, standing there like this. And I'm like, hey, Doug. I said, yeah, I just need to throw my paper out. He says, what are you doing? And he starts messing with me. And I'm like, Doug, just leave me alone. I'm trying to get out of that. And you know what he did? He punched me. Punched me right in the face. Punched me right in the face. Knocked me down. I got up, didn't cry, wanted to, got on my bike, and I sped off. And I couldn't believe that happened. And I mean, I was trying to be nice to him. I wasn't saying, I, didn't, I was trying to not use, I was choosing my words wisely. I didn't want to incite anything, you know, and he did it anyway. Well, I had a good friend who had an older brother in high school who was a really big guy. And I told him what happened. He said, let's go to his house. We went to his house. We knock on the door, and he answers the door. And I'm just kind of standing by, behind my, my friend's uh, big brother. And he opens the door, and, I, and, and he's like, hey, did you punch him? And he's like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. And, and I'm in behind him, and I'm like, that's right. He did. That's right. Come on. You want something now? Come on. Come on, right here. Right there, right here. What changed? 
I was like taunting him. Come on, do something. I knew somebody had my back. And it changed everything. Listen, as believers in Jesus Christ, we need to remember when we feel defeated and down, we need to remember who has our back. Listen to Isaiah 9.6. It's a, it's a passage you hear a lot at Christmas. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Listen, that's the God we know. That's our Jesus. That's our Savior. That's pretty triumphant. That's who has our back, y'all. When you feel down and you, when you feel defeated, understand who has your back. The mighty God. The everlasting Father. I think too often when we come to Christmas and the manger, we have what I sometimes refer to as manger misunderstandings. And there's a lot of them. Like I told you last week, I mean, baby Jesus was probably not born in a nice, stable barn like we think of. It was probably just a damp cave. You know, and he probably wasn't in a nice little stable. It was just a feeding trough. You know, uh, the wise men, I, this is going to blow some of y'all's Christmas. The wise men, according to scriptures, did not come to the manger that night. They were following a star. The scripture says they showed up when he was a young child. Most scholars believe he was probably a couple of years old. I know they look really cute and nice with our nativity scenes. We put ours out too. You're not committing heresy. We just kind of put them to the side like they're on their way. You know, <laughs> try to be more biblical. Because some of y'all come to our house and be like, hey, I thought you said they weren't there. So we, we, but there's all these manger misunderstandings. And, and a lot of times people see the manger scene and they say, little baby Jesus. Little baby Jesus. Little eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus that some people want to pray to. You all know, some of you know what I'm talking about. And we forget who that baby was and is. And his spirit is inside us. And he's our Lord and Savior. And that baby is Jehovah. That, that baby is Yahweh. That, that baby is the Messiah. He is the author of life. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the creator and sustainer of the universe. He is the bread of life. He's the ancient of days. He's our bridegroom. He's the bright and morning star. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He is God in the flesh. He is the living word. He is the great I am. He is our salvation. He is our comforter. He is our redeemer. He is our deliverer. He's the lifter of our head. He is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He's the Prince of Peace. And he is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is who he is. And he has our back. Why are we feeling defeated? When we know him, David understood who had his back. Let me give you a verse. Some of y'all are, who are, are struggling this Christmas, you need to write this down. You need to meditate on this. It's in Psalm 18, verse 1 through 3. And listen to what David said. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my strength in whom I will trust. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And so shall I be saved from my enemies. That is triumphant, church. That's the Jesus that has our back. O come, all ye faithful, born the king of angels. O come, let us adore him, because he's Christ, the Lord, 
And for those that know him personally, he's Christ our Lord. And when we know who has our back, it's Jesus. It helps us to become more triumphant. I've asked someone in our church who has gone through some challenges the last couple of years. But she has seen Jesus bring triumph into her life. And I've asked her to come at this time and share a quick testimony with you all. This is Liz Conyers. Would you welcome her this morning? Well, I'm no T.D. Jakes, but anyway. (laughs) In 2009, my then husband of 13 and a half years walked into our home on a Friday afternoon, sat down on our sofa, and announced to me that he was no longer in love with me that he had not been for probably four or five years, that he did not want to be married to me, and that there was very little hope for any reconciliation. In fact, he gave me no hope that there would be any reconciliation. And to say that at that moment I was defeated would not be an adequate description of what my life was like. I had fallen into a pit of desperation, for sure, that comes from the humiliation and hurt of that kind of rejection, the fear and uncertainty of not knowing financially how I would survive, and the complete turning of everything that I thought was my future and everything that had been my past. And it was not good. (laughs) It was not a good time of my life, for sure. I pled with God for a miracle. And when I say I pled with God for a miracle, I don't mean that I just simply prayed, oh, please, God, change my circumstance. I mean, I, on my belly, with my head in the ground, pleaded that God would change my circumstance, that supernaturally, He would change what was happening to me. And he didn't. (laughs) He didn't change what was happening to me. But he worked a miracle nonetheless. He changed me. And I want to, there are so many things that I could say about that time in my life and how he did these miracles inside me. But mostly I want to say that At that time, his word became so alive and active in my life that it was his word that changed me little by little and gave me joy and gave me peace. I could hold on to Isaiah 61, which says that Jesus came to bind the hearts of the brokenhearted, to give the oil of gladness and to give us beauty for ashes. And I held tight to that. I held tightly to Jeremiah 29 and to Psalm 138 that both talk about how God has a purpose for our life, a future, and that he doesn't abandon the work of his hands. And there are so many more. Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to those that love him. And of course, all things, um, I can do all things through Christ in Philippians 4. And he reminded me that by thinking on the things that were good and lovely and honorable, 
that I could put what had happened to me behind me. And the miracle that he did in me was that he gave me the ability, he gave me the strength to forgive, which was huge. The healing began when I was willing to forgive. And he also provided for my financial responsibilities in supernatural ways. And he placed me in the middle of this amazing circle of friends right here at the Orchard Church that breathed the very love of Christ into my life on a daily basis. And that wasn't by accident. He put me here. And when I began to see it from that perspective, I began to have peace and joy again in my life. And as I could see that he had brought me out of the pit, I was so wanting that mountaintop. <laughs> mm. I so wanted to get there. And Doug, this week, he called and he said, um, Liz, I'm working on the message. We're talking about triumphant living. And, and God just laid your name on my heart. And Doug, you couldn't have known this, but Psalm 18 had a lot to do with that. Hidden in this long psalm, there's this great verse. It's verse 19. He also, also brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. Mm. I had a hard time with what that broad place looked like, what that mountaintop looked like. Mm. I was struggling because I thought that the mountaintop was smooth sailing. <laughs> no worries, no fears, no scars. But when we read those words of David in the beginning of this psalm, he was triumphant because God had delivered him, but he was still weary from the battle. Mm. You have to know that. Mm -hmm. He was still in pain. He had lost his very best friend, Jonathan, in all of this mess. It was not a perfect life. But he was triumphant because he had God on his side. Yeah. And when I could see that, when I could step back and not define my life according to my circumstance, but define it by the way that Jesus Christ saw me, it changed everything. He was inviting me to the mountaintop, and he was saying, look, I'm going to put your feet on a broad place where you can see where you've been, and you can see where we're going. And it's not going to be smooth sailing, Liz. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to leave you without any scars or hurt or pain. But I'm going to be there with you. And it's going to be okay. And it was. And if my testimony ended right there, it would be so enough. I could walk off this stage and be totally confident that what God had done in my life was the biggest miracle, was exactly what I had pled for him to do. Yeah. But <laughs> that's not the end. <laughs> you know, Ephesians 3.20 says that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Yeah. And my testimony is more because in 2010, he brought James Conyers into my life. And I know I'm taking a longer time, Doug, but I want to tell you this about <laughs> Providence. In 2007, my small group 
prayed that a young man named James Conyers would be saved. Let that sink in a minute. I was praying at that very moment for my future husband's salvation. I had no idea. But God was already working on my behalf because he could see the future. He knew it was going to happen. He was already working on my behalf. James and I were married, and God so delighted in us that he gave us little Nathaniel James. <sighs> All I ever dreamed of being in my life was a wife and a mommy. Mm-hmm. And when I just knew that was never going to happen for me, God came in and supernaturally gave me my heart's desires. Mm-hmm. Live triumphantly. <laughs> Be on the mountaintop. Don't expect it to be perfect. Mm. But we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Mm -hmm. And all things do work together for good Mm -hmm. for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And he does have a purpose for you. And he will not, he will not abandon the work of his hands. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. That's awesome. I don't think T.D. Jakes has got anything on that. I, I know now, I, like Liz said, I was, I was studying for this message last week, and I, God just laid her on my heart and said, you need to call Liz. She's got, I, I hadn't even heard all of that, and I just knew God had something that he wanted to say through her, and now I know why. I hope we'll never sing that carol the same again. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Not because we are or because we feel that way, but because he is. And he helps us to become more faithful, more joyful, and more triumphant. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Would you